0: hi guys welcome back to the cmap study podcast it has been a while this is a really quick introduction to say this episode is much longer than usual because we got carried away because really we were so away. excited <laughs> to be back uh, we hope you guys enjoy it and stay tuned for what is I think the next 40 minutes covering topic 21 of the textbook
1: Cute intro music <laughs>
0: everybody it has been a minute and by a minute i mean it's been a good while months so we do recordings (laughs) in advance and then upload like five weeks at a time a week at a time five weeks in advance so it's been a good few months since we've done this but it's really really good to be back if you are watching this on youtube you will see that we are we have a nice new setup we didn't just paint a wall (laughs) we relocated entirely from my living room to my daughter's bedroom
1: She does have the best bedroom.
0: Yeah, she does. So we are here with a new look and a little bit of new sound as well. And we're bringing it all back. So we finished the last episode with topic 20 of the CMAP1 stuff. Yeah. We're going to pick up right where we left off. So we're going to pick up topic 22 which is co- 21, Twenty one. which is Conduct of Business Requirements 2. That's where the two came into oh, it. Oh, okay, right. Yeah. It's about as thrilling as last time. But before we jump into that, I just want to give everybody a little bit of an update as to where Future in Finance is up to because it's been a second and a lot has happened. First of all, the CMAP1 masterclass that I was banging on about the whole time we were recording this podcast, that's live. That runs every month. People Doing. join and take it and they pass their CMAP every month. That's just business as usual now which is amazing um the podcast is back cmap two and three is in the process of being built so february is an estimated launch date we are recording this podcast in the week of black friday so there's been a bunch of offers by the time this podcast launches you will have missed out so sorry Uh if you missed it (laughs) snooze you lose all of that kind of stuff But the idea is is that by the end of Feb, we should be running masterclasses for CMAP1 and CMAP2 and 3 every month, and you can book on. You can see all the reviews that the CMAP1 masterclass has had, which have been amazing. The e-learning platform is like the golden ticket for everybody that can't do a five-day thing. So again, you can see the reviews on the website, which if you didn't know, is futureinfinance.co.uk because fun fact, I was using cmap.com <clears throat> and then I got a very strongly worded email from the London Institute of Banking oh, and Oh no, finals. it was a letter. It was a letter, but they'd attached it into an email, so slightly less threatening. Oh. Um, just to say that cmap.com was a trademark and I couldn't use it, therefore I... I'm no longer Stop using it. that. <laughs> uh, I can't use cmap.com, that is no longer mine. It's futureinfinance.co.uk for all of your mortgage exam related Everything things. you need. Exactly. So the e-learning platform has been a huge success. You can see all the reviews there as well. And that was the one where you get the video files, the audio files, the exclusive e-book and exam-style platform where you can sit kind of like exam questions in the platform but not exact exam questions because that would also get me into a lot of trouble. Um, but that's been fab. If you guys want a free trial of that, you can get a five-day free trial just by messaging me on literally any platform. My number is on the website. You can send me a WhatsApp if you want to. But most Yay. people slide into my Instagram DMs. So everything is running really smoothly with Future in Finance. And I have my first employee. You will be astounded to hear that my first
1: employee is, in fact, Maria. Also, this isn't included in my packet, Oh but I do get a pension. Oh, yeah, she does get it. Oh, I I actually (laughs) need to sort that out. Yeah, so
0: things have moved really, really fast, which is why the podcast kind of took a downward step, because this all started with me and Maria and a few wines on my part gins on Maria's part on my (laughs) sofa being like let's record this on my laptop and see what happens and it took off and every day people message the Instagram account and they're like I found it I love it you've saved my life I've passed my C-map and every day it's like the best thing that I've ever done. So thank you so much to all of you guys for listening. Thank you so much for coming back. If you've stuck with us while we've had this break, hopefully we're going to be giving you some really good content. These episodes should take us to the end of the C-Map 1 stuff by about the new year. And then at some point in January, we are going to kick off with season two, which will be the C-Map 2 and 3 stuff. So for all of you that have been asking, this is great, but I'm trying to pass my C-Map 2 and 3. I've heard you. I'm coming to it. Please just bear with me. Keep sending me messages, though. Keep asking me questions because the more questions you ask, the more information I can give
1: to you guys that would help. Yeah. Maria, have I missed anything? No, I think that's everything. Um, Literally just keep keep with the feedback, guys. Keep doing it because that's part of the reason that... I'm happy to come and sit here and make a fool of myself on camera and be threatened by a microphone that is approximately this far from my face because I'm told that this far is how far it's meant to be for effective sound collection or whatever the hell this thing is doing. So what you guys can't see and you can't hear (laughs) is that we now have a videographer called Chris who has literally got his
0: head in his hands and he's like, what the (laughs) ever-living fuck are you two doing? Because this bit... Wasn't I mean most of it isn't scripted. None but of it scripted. This bit definitely wasn't scripted, but yeah, he sits there and he's like, "Just move on, just keep keep, keep going. going with it." So we are going to move along. So topic twenty one. One. Thank you. Yes. Conduct of business requirements two. I'm going to be honest. It's not a thrilling read. People. You see
1: this every time. I do say
0: this about every topic, but at least the first half of the textbook. I find much more relatable because okay. the second half, so from units 16 to 25, yep. it is all the second half of your exam. So it's unit two of your exam right. and
1: it's all just regulation stuff. Okay, so, yeah, but you, you know you're going to work in a regulated industry. That's why you're all here.
0: Yeah, but it means that it's much harder to remember because at least with the unit one stuff, mm-hmm. you could be like, okay, so if I won the lottery, I might get a guilt. Or my financial advisor might say, hey, why don't you invest in property? Or you can give real world examples like the Freddo inflation thing that everybody loves. It's not that easy with Unit 2. But what I have found is that there's some quirky ways that you can remember some really important bits. So when I get to them, if I've got a quirky way of remembering it, I will let you guys know. Um, oh, disclaimer about this part of the textbook as well. A lot of it is speaking about source books. So... right. What we need to understand about source books is they are effectively guides that are given to businesses. Okay. So if you are a mortgage lender, yeah. you would look at the mortgage conduct of business source book, or MCOBS. <laughs> if you were an insurance company, you would look at the insurance conduct of business source book. If you were a bank, you would look at the banking conduct of business source book. What we need to understand is that they are just guidelines for every different type of industry. So banks will look at one, insurers will look at other another. Okay. There's also something called directives, which we're gonna come on to in a different topic, but it's a similar sort of thing. So you've got um it's it's called a markets in financial instruments directive. Oh my god. Yeah, they're really like they, the words. Yeah, they just called it what it is, didn't they? Mm-hmm. When we get onto that, I'll give you a handy way to remember it. Cool. Um but the directives can overlap. So you've got the MIFID, which is the Markets and Financial Instruments Directive, and then you've got an Investment Managers Fund, in, a, something like a Financial Instruments Fund Managers Directive, or it's not that one. When we come onto to it, I'll tell you what it is. But the idea is,
1: is that some categories will have more than one directive. Okay, just to cover all the areas, so everything is covered. Exactly. Okay. That doesn't sound too complex. Okay,
0: perfect. Well, that's a good start, right? I'm just going to look at my notes and see where we... Oh, so first of all, we're going to talk about mortgages and how they got regulated. So, as I mentioned, MCOBs, the Mortgage Conduct of Business Sourcebook, is where you can find all the mortgage rules. Mortgages first became a regulated product in 2004. That's how long it took. Mm -hmm.
1: What were they doing before?
0: It was like the wild, wild I was going to say. That's why you could get a 110% mortgage. So my sister, when she got a mortgage, she definitely won't mind me telling you this story. (laughs) She was late teens, early 20s when she got her first mortgage, and I'm pretty sure she got a 110% mortgage. So let's say her house was worth Uh £150,000. She got a mortgage... For £165,000. No deposit, no problem. No furniture, no fucking problem. Because we'll give you an extra 10% on what your house is worth. What the fuck? That's why the fan- one of the big reasons why the financial crisis happened. Because what people were doing is they were taking out 110% mortgages. Never making a single mortgage payment. And then when the banks were taking those houses back, they were going... Where are we going to get that extra 10% from? Because by the time we've sold the house, we're still £15,000 down. Yeah, you just move out taking your furniture that they paid for with you. Exactly. Fuck them. So, I mean, we don't have that anymore. And I say luckily, but luckily for who? Because we can't buy houses because how much do you need to get a deposit? How much is your rent? How do we all survive in our 30s? I don't oh, understand. I don't know.
1: But it's definitely the fact that we all spend money on avocado toast, isn't it? And Netflix.
0: Too many pumpkin spice lattes. Oh, yeah. Give those That's up. You'll definitely be able
1: to afford your mortgage.
0: Exactly. <laughs> <Bunch of billions. laughs> so, the Mortgage Conduct of Business sourcebook talks about how mortgages are regulated. Yep. Now, business mortgages are an unrela- unregulated product. So, residential mortgages are regulated. We will come right. on to business mortgages on another day today okay. is not the day for that right but we need to know that residential mortgages are regulated they were originally only regulated in 2004 for first charge mortgages maria this is going to be a test for you can you remember <sighs> what a first charge mortgage is oh my God, that's sorry. all right don't worry so most people when they get a mortgage they will get a first charge mortgage mm-hmm. so effectively the lender takes ownership of that house until you have paid your mortgage off makes sense they've got first dibs on the property Right. If they, if you get evicted because you've not paid your mortgage, they've got first dibs on that property. It's theirs. Yeah. A second charge mortgage is where somebody gets an extra mortgage where they can offer their property a second time. There's a very small number of reasons why people would get a second charge mortgage. I actually had somebody on one of my CMAP1 courses who only dealt with second charge mortgages. And he was saying, the reason that people get second charge mortgages on their homes is to buy a Tesla. He was like, 80% of the time, they just want to buy a Tesla. So the idea is, is instead of taking out a car finance agreement, they get a second charge mortgage, they take out 70 grand second mortgage on their house and pay it off that way instead of getting car finance.
1: So it's soon going to become known as the Tesla mortgage. Mm -hmm, Tesla mortgages.
0: If you can't remember what a second charge mortgage is, just think about a Tesla mortgage
1: that's why so people could afford their Tesla
0: there are a couple of different reasons as well so some people sometimes get them out for business purposes but I've heard I've heard that I've heard that, <clears throat> I've heard that um, it's much more difficult to get a second mortgage for business purposes than it is for a Tesla <laughs> because there's nothing to secure it against although no because you're securing yeah, it against your house your
1: anyway
0: house. yeah so pass on that one my knowledge is not that in depth for that one I'm okay sorry. well the Tesla mortgage then the Tesla mortgage got it um, we'll come on to the regulation of second charge mortgages again on a different day but for what you need to know for your CMAP exam mortgages became regulated in 2004 under the Mortgage Conduct to Business
1: Sourcebook um, and it's not business mortgages so it's residential so mortgages only is the sourcebook legally binding? the, the guidance in there must be adhered to
0: yeah so it um, in fact I will come on to that because okay. I'm going to talk you through the sourcebook I'm not going to talk you through every chapter because I do that in training and it's really boring and nobody's going to find it beneficial listening to this on your drive home. I'll just give you the key highlights. But yeah, cool. the idea is, is you give it to a mortgage lending company and they it is all their guidance and a lot of it is rules that they have to follow if they want to offer a okay. regulated mortgage yep. product. Got it. Ideal. So in 2016, something called, called the EU Credit Directive came into force, and then that was extended to cover second-charge mortgages. So in 2004, we had the Mortgage Conduct to Business Sourcebook, the first-charge mortgages. 16. Yep. The The EU. Credit Directive, which was second-charge mortgages as well. Okay. Now, to be classed as a regulated mortgage, certain things need to happen, and you need to know about these for the purposes of your CMAP. So first of all, this one's going to sound really obvious, but they do talk about it, a lender has to lend money to a borrower. That seems fairly straightforward. Mm -hmm. The second one is that money has to be secured against the property. Okay. The third thing, really, really important thing, is the property, in fact, I need to double-check that I'm getting this the right way around because I've mixed it up before, so at least 40% of that property that you are getting a mortgage on has to be used for residential purposes. Let me give you an example. Yeah, please do. So, you guys probably all know about the ban that's coming in on XL Bullies at the end of this year. It means a lot to me because I have a dog who kind of looks a little bit like she might be an XL Bully. She isn't, but I feel your pain if you are one of those owners. We keep buying lottery tickets in the hopes that we're going to win the lottery and buy a farm and we can just adopt all of the XL Bullies that are up for adoption. That is our dream. Yeah. If, you know, Future and Finance doesn't pan out in the next six weeks. That's the dream. So... if we were to buy a farm Mm -hmm. we would have to live in 40 percent of that farm we could not use it for the rescue business
1: but how so okay farm is a really interesting one how would would that be just the buildings then you'd have to live in 40 because farms typically have Mm -hmm. a farmhouse outhouses barns stables please can we get one with stables Um, so, but we can't live in 40% of all the buildings unless we invite all of our friends, which is like four people. So a farm is probably a terrible example for the
0: purposes of mortgages anyway, (laughs) because you wouldn't get a residential mortgage on a farm for exactly that
1: reason. Okay. But if you were looking at... So say you had a house that you wanted to put, you know, like you get the local post office. that's I was like just the about the same of post office. <laughs> yeah, so I think a post office, I mean, there's a grey area and I'm not
0: too familiar. So maybe do your research with this one, guys. But if you imagine it mm-hmm. in a sense of you've bought a post office, you have to live in at least 40% of the house and 60% of that building could be a post office. Is that what you're thinking?
1: Um, Yeah, that's what I was like. Is that, are they saying strictly floor plan area 40%? 40%. Is that what they're saying? Yeah. Okay, so it's not just like a loose, you Mm -hmm. know, it has to be floor plan 40% living accommodation. I
0: don't know how they work it out. What I do know that is beneficial is that it's a very common CMAP question according to my students though.
1: Okay, so so know it. Know that that 40% is the golden number. Yeah. For a residential mortgage. Mm Mm-hmm. You must live in 40% of the property. Yeah. So long as it's not a farm.
0: So long as it's not a farm, because farm is something completely different. So it was a terrible example on my cart. My cart? My cart. Oh, yeah, my cart. <laughs> I was definitely not looking at my online shopping just then. Okay. Buy to let mortgages. Yep. Yeah. This is another question. Can you remember? Anything
1: on buy to let mortgages? Um, no, apart from it's probably the only mortgage I'd ever be able to get, because although, oh no, I am now employed. So I get a payslip. She is now employed. So she gets a payslip. So maybe one day she can buy uh, Maybe house. one day I'll get a normal mortgage. No, buy to let. All I know is you literally get one because you're going to rent the property out. That's it. That was a really quiet whisper. I don't know if the microphone will have picked that up. Did the microphone pick no, <laughs> um, that You get it because you're going to rent the property. That's it. That's all I know. That's the limit. Of exactly. That's That's
0: basically all that you need to know
1: so most people that get buy-to-let mortgages
0: are people who are looking to invest in property they buy a house with the sole purpose of renting it out right and making an income from that rental the way that they offer a buy-to-let mortgage is slightly different so it wouldn't if we were to get a buy-to-let mortgage it wouldn't be dependent on our income Mm -hmm. it would be dependent on how much the property is worth and what the expected monthly rental income is okay because we're not paying off that
1: mortgage the tenant is right so your finances are less important in that scenario
0: usually there's i mean it depends on the lender but there's usually a requirement that says you need to earn a minimum of i think it's 20 or 25000 pounds a year to be able to get a buy to let mortgage but the the amount that you can get for a buy to let mortgage has no um your, your income doesn't affect it. So okay. your wage does not matter. What they will do is they will look at the house and go, okay, cool. So you can get £750 a month rental for that property. Yeah. We need to make sure that whatever mortgage amount you get, you are paying less than that in your mortgage. Otherwise, it's not viable as yeah. a buy-to-let property. That's how they work. As a buyer, so if we were to get one, we'd have to put a minimum 25% deposit down. Right, yeah. There are going to be some instances where people accidentally become need a buy-to-let mortgage, so most people that buy, get a buy-to-let mortgage, they have gone into it wanting to get a property as an investment. Yeah. Let's say, and actually this is not that far from the truth, I want to relocate. I mean, my issue is that I can't find a house in the area that I want to relocate. But let's say I'd found a house, I'd got a job in that new
1: area, and for whatever reason, I couldn't sell this house. I mean, the market might not be viable, so you'd get... A shitty return or whatever Mm -hmm. it is now i can't rent out this property because it's got a residential mortgage and there's
0: usually terms and conditions in your mortgage that say if you've got a residential mortgage you can't rent the property out okay so in that instance i have become a consumer buy to let customer my circumstances just mean that i have to rent this property out let's say you inherit a property it's still mortgaged they didn't have a life insurance policy on it and you can't afford to pay that mortgage so you need to rent it out you have accidentally become a consumer buy to let customer
1: Okay, that's interesting. So there are ways that you can end up with a buy-to-let and it's not an investment situation. Exactly. So a
0: consumer buy-to-let product is regulated along, it kind of came into play with the mortgage credit, the EU mortgage credit directive. Right, yeah. It is a regulated product. However, if you get a buy-to-let mortgage, it is not regulated because it's a business product.
1: Oh, interesting. So still the wild west there.
0: Still the wild west a little bit there. Cool. With me so far? With you so far. Splendid. Let's move along. Okay. The next thing we're going to talk about is, oh, the mortgage conduct of business
1: sourcebook rules. Right. Yes.
0: I imagine it like a really big, chunky textbook. It might not be. It's probably all online now anyway. I was going to say it's probably a here's your PDF. Exactly. But it covers everything that lenders need to know when they are looking to give somebody a mortgage. So how do we consider somebody's affordability? While the rules might not be super strict because actually affordability criteria changes dependent on
1: the markets and the
0: budget and what's happening with inflation, all that kind of stuff, it will give guidelines. So it will be anything from assessing a customer's suitability for a mortgage right the way through to what to do if a customer turns around and says, hey, I can't pay my mortgage or
1: what to do when a customer misses a mortgage payment. Right, so full guidance on any every possible scenario. Exactly.
0: Um, there's a really important part of this. First of all, that we need to know about. So, with UC Map One, there's ten different documents that you need to be aware of, um, and you need to be aware of the differences between them. I'm not going to run through all ten now because it's going to be really difficult to remember listening to it. However, if you go onto my Instagram, you can find it in my Instagram posts, and it's literally like a swipe folder. It's called Key Documents all of them are covered there and it tells you the key differences and what they're used for do you need to know it for the exam you do need to know them for the exam okay. that is going to bag you quick points if you can remember them and you think of oh, 10 documents is quite a lot just look at the slides i've broken it down as best i can print them off stick
1: them on the back of your toilet door
0: oh toilet door is a good one i always say fridge but you never really spend that long looking at toilet the outside of your fridge
1: that's where i stuck all my revision notes all toilet. around the toilet because you always want something to read when you're on the loo don't take your phone in or do you take your phone in and look at the slides but you'll end up in a doom scroll
0: yeah and then you just never get off the toilet a client actually sent me a picture the other day they had was a, it of them
1: on the toilet because it if it's not
0: was definitely I'm not that so please don't send me those pictures um they had a pin board and they had uh, like loads of different revision notes and then one section was dedicated to all the different tiktoks and instagram posts that i'd done on exam hacks and they messaged me afterwards to be like, after two years, I've passed Yay! and I'm putting it totally down to your TikToks and your posts. So that was really nice. Those
1: are the stories we love to hear. Yeah, they really are. So please keep sending those messages. And also, you will never do better than a pinboard unless you send us a picture of your toilet door. Oh, and yeah. and stuff. That you can win something for free if you send that. And I don't even know what yet. We're looking at getting merch.
0: I say we. I want merch. But now this is Maria's job is to look at things like merch.
1: So you can expect So let us modes. know what merch you want to win. And I'll make it happen. There we go. I have an expense account now. I don't. I just... She definitely doesn't. And there's a reason <laughs> for that. The document that we need to know about is
0: called yes. a European standardized information sheet. Good God. It is a template that is offered out by the FCA. Okay. Every lender has to use that template. It is, that's why it's called a standardized information sheet. Yeah. It is a form that they have to fill in. They have to stick to the template. They have to keep it for a period of time to get all of those fun facts. Just look at the Instagram post because there's key differences between them. Okay. But let that one stick out. You will often see it referred to as ESIS, E S I S, European Standardized Information Sheet. Look out for it. They in really your notes. love a good acronym. They really do. Um, so that's one thing that is covered in the they talk about in the mortgage conductor business source book MCOBS. um and also there is a sentence that says Cus- a customer who is in arrears or who misses a mortgage payment yeah has to be given some information within 15 working days of the lender becoming aware of the missed payment 15 is quite a unique number i can't think of a fun way to remember 15 other than the fact that you got ten fingers and had five, and I'm going to do a lot of... It's going to sound weird. I'm going to do a lot of finger work in upcoming podcast episodes of How to Remember Stuff with Your Fingers. Everybody else is laughing in the room right now, so I'll just... (laughs) Oh, you just made Fox jump. I'm sorry. um you need to know that
1: uh, uh, 15
0: working days so from when the lender becomes aware that you have missed a payment on your mortgage you must receive certain things so it's effectively
1: three weeks pretty much wait no 15 working days yeah yeah three weeks there you go three weeks 15 working days so it's they have to give you that notice period there you go that was a really good way of remembering it thank you maria see Just this is I'm why you're for. the best employee ever <laughs> um, only employee at the minute so you have to call me your best employee fox doesn't count we tried we actually
0: did <laughs> um you have to have received within that time scale a letter from the lender to say that you've missed a payment that how much of the payment that you've missed what your outstanding balance is and something called Uh, I think it's called Problems Paying Your Mortgage and it's the Money Helper Advice Sheet so that comes from a service called MAPS which is Mortgages? No it's not Money and Pensions Advice Service we're going to come on to MAPS in topic 25 so I'm not really going to cover that too much now but it's a Money Helper Information Sheet called Problems Paying Your Mortgage and how much you are in debt by and you have to have received that within 15 working days of the lender becoming aware of the missed payments Do you feel pretty comfortable, Maria? Do you have any questions
1: on that one? No, I mean, I think it's quite nice that they're like, hey, we've got a problem. You've not paid. If you're struggling, here's a bit of advice. Because it's like when you get called into the headmaster's office and he's like, you're in big trouble. How can we fix it? (laughs) (laughs) The source book also
0: talks about vulnerable customers. So we've done quite a bit on vulnerable customers already. Yes. But this... Part of the textbook taught me a few things that I wasn't super aware of. Do you know what a right-to-buy customer is? Anyone? No. Okay, Okay. so (laughs) a right-to-buy product is something pretty unique in a sense that you are a right-to-buy customer if you want to buy your council house. Right. So you live in a council house. Mm -hmm. In fact, my mum bought this house through the right-to-buy scheme. This was a council property, and then she applied to the local authority and said, hey, I'm in a position to get a mortgage, I'd really like to buy this house, how do we make this happen? The way that it works, roughly, is the longer you've lived in the property, the more discount you get on the house that you are buying. Sounds reasonable. And then you would just apply for a mortgage that way, but it's a specific right-to-buy mortgage product. You are classed as a vulnerable customer if you want a right-to-buy mortgage. Automatically. Automatically classed no as a vulnerable customer. Are. Irrespective of who you are, what your circumstances are, you are classed as a vulnerable customer.
1: That's interesting. Equity release customers are another one. They are classed as vulnerable customers, so... Typically, I suppose, if you're looking for equity release, though, you are... I mean, this is just based off of all the umbrella adverts I see on the TV. Um, <laughs> older.
0: Yeah, because you can't get an equity release mortgage... Unless you are over the age of, it's dependent. I think some of them it's 60, some of them it might be 70 now. So you are looking at a more vulnerable age group. Mm-hmm. And people generally get equity release properties because they're hitting retirement or they're coming up to retirement and they don't have a great pension. Yeah. Or they're, you know they're struggling for funds so what they want to do is they want to take all the equity out of their house to live off seems reasonable which is why you can understand they might be classes of vulnerable customer and there's extra care that should be taken with those vulnerable customers and the last one is something called a sale and rent back agreement now somebody did re-explain this to me in a scenario where i was like oh i've heard of those products i know exactly what you mean but i can't for the life of me think to repeat it now so i'll make a post about it so that people know what that is but if you are a sale and rent back customer oh was it um shared ownership shared ownership schemes now i haven't fact checked this but one of my students said if you get in a shared ownership property you are buying 50 percent of your property or whatever the percentage is and you are renting The the other percentage until you are in a position to buy so it makes you a sale and rent back customer which would make you a
1: vulnerable customer but like i said haven't fact checked that one so don't quote me on it until i've checked it so essentially it's vulnerable in the definition that you could be very easily taken advantage of because your financial situation is such that you have to put up some kind of collateral, i.e. your house. Bingo. So that's why you're at much more risk if that product is mis-sold or you are taken advantage of in the sale of that product of losing your pro- your living exactly. accommodation. Exactly. So. That's
0: exactly it. Cool. And then that's pretty much the key bits from MCOBS. Cool. Cool. The insurance conduct of business source book is the next one that we talk about. But honestly, Yay. I'm not going to give you a huge amount of detail. I'm just going to tell you that there's eight sections of it and it covers everything from is this insurance product suitable for that particular type of customer mm-hmm. right the way through to claims handling, claims acceptance and claims rejection because it's been so long since we did a podcast episode. I can't remember if I spoke about the mass critical illness claims rejection that they talk about in the LIBF textbook.
1: I don't remember it.
0: The idea was people were taking out life insurance products and the life insurance companies were going, hey, tell us about every single opportunity where you've ever been to the doctors ever in your entire life since the day that you were born. And just expecting people to be able to reel those off. I actually had a student who was 18 on one of my courses, so he was like newborn fresh. Yeah, baby. Super switched on though, and he was like, I could tell you, you are the healthiest motherfucker I have ever seen in my life because I go to the doctors every three weeks because I'm old, my back hurts. Yeah. But the idea was is that people were taking out these products, being asked that question and they they did their best to answer it but they would have missed something. Ten years down the line they were getting lung cancer, that's just an example. The insurer was asking for medical records looking at the documents and then going well when you were seven you went to the doctors because you had... Yeah, your lungs hurt, and how do we know that wasn't the start of the cancer? You didn't tell us about that. Reject. So the FCA got involved and basically said, absolutely, you, you can't, can't do, do that. that. <laughs> and then off the back of that, they changed the rules to say, hey, okay, so now when you're asking customers questions, you need to be using the whole utmost good
1: faith thing. So oh, it's oh yeah, utmost good faith. Go on then, law degree? No, not law degree. The call centre oh yeah we worked in different parts of the call i well i was management i did not uh, have yeah, to know that yeah you were management Grunts, <laughs> soldiers boots on the ground over here yeah utmost good faith someone calls and they're like i've definitely my phone's definitely been stolen okay Ooh, tell me what happened well i went out and i got drunk okay did you see someone take it no okay it turns out that they just lobbed it somewhere in a drain left it on a table you know it wasn't stolen it was lost but they've told you it's stolen to utmost good faith there we go
0: that is a nice example thank you maria
1: it's terrible don't work in call centers <laughs> yeah
0: avoid that one if you can um but that's the idea with the insurance conduct of business yeah. source book it is for insurers and they cover everything okay and then the last one is the banking conduct of business source book not going to go through them. There's six sections. Please do your study. and I always say this in the episodes and we've not said it yet. This is not a comprehensive guide. Please do your research. Ask me more questions. But don't think that you could reasonably get everything that you need for your CMAP and sit your exam and be knowledgeable enough off the back of these podcasts. Podcasts? Podcasts. This is just to help you guys out a little bit. Um, and then the last two things that I want to talk about were you going to say something yeah
1: i was going to ask Are uh, the insurance and banking source books have you broken those down into infographics on your social medias so people can check them out no i haven't because honestly they're really boring i'll do it at some point and it'll go on the social medias there
0: we go you can thank <laughs> maria for those when you get to it or the money muggle is i i'm definitely going to make a put in the bottom of an email yeah, yeah that's not my
1: official job title
0: no, I've let Maria choose her own job title, so God knows what's <laughs> going to be at the end of those emails. Um, the Banking Conduct to Business Sourcebook, or BCOBS. There's six sections. Go and check them out. Cool. We're going to finish off this episode talking about stakeholder products because there's a really nice recap in the textbook, and it's been a while, and people struggle. And I think the reason that people struggle is because they, they see stakeholder and they think shareholder. Right. And I completely get why your brain would do that, because my brain does that. What we need to understand about a stakeholder product is any particular stakeholder product that you see is aimed towards... I'm really sorry, I'm so distracted by how loud Fox is snoring.
1: I'm so glad you said that, because I was going to.
0: I've got no idea if this is going to come through these microphones, but it is so loud, and I'm trying to remember what I'm trying to say, and she's just... Oh, there we go. She's awake. Okay, thank you. Um, Stakeholder products are for people who have a limited financial knowledge, financial background, and are generally on a lower income. Me! So, um, (laughs) I don't think you would qualify for a stakeholder
1: product. That's unfortunate.
0: They are specifically designed for people that just don't have a super great grasp of their financial situation so they are simplified products the reason we don't see them advertised is because there are much lower charges
1: associated with stakeholder products because the banks don't make money from them so why bother advertising them okay so you have to meet certain criteria in order to qualify for those products exactly right okay so it's not just like anyone can go in to a bank and be like i want a stakeholder stakeholder product no you have to be declared a fit for that product and usually
0: banks will do like scripted questions to find out whether or not that's the best product for you because they have to assume that there is a very low to little to no level of knowledge about financial stuff before they can advise before they can recommend a stakeholder product got it okay we'll probably recap stakeholder products again yeah um One thing I haven't mentioned, actually, is I'm now doing a free monthly webinar. So I've run them a couple of times in the evenings and they've been super popular. I literally made one story about it and I think I sent one email out and I had nearly 80 people plug in. So they're super popular. There's obviously a need for them. I'm going to try and run one a month, but I can't guarantee I'm going to run them in the evenings. And I know that's when everyone
1: wants them, but you can get a recording of them as well. I was going to say that the recordings are available. Also, (laughs) that goes for if you can't, make the time slot or by the time you contact and say, can I book on? Because space is limited. Yeah. We do hit that 60 to 80 person quota ridiculously quickly. You can still get a recording.
0: Exactly. So the way that it works is I'll advertise it, I'll send an email out, subscribe to the website to be the first in the know about that or just follow usually my Instagram, TikTok, whatever you follow. Socials. But subscribing to the website is the first place to hear about it. Um, I'll send out an email and there's a a feature with zoom where they won't let more than 100 people in so when when i hit that limit there's nothing that i can do about it so i'll just fire the link out to everybody that's registered for it and it's first come first serve loads of people get loads of benefit from it i will teach whatever you guys are struggling with so drop me a message and be like hey i'm really struggling with this could you do a session on it my answer is always going to be yes i just go with whatever is most popular when i ask the questions we completely segued because I was going yeah. <laughs> to finish off with robo-advice is the last part of this topic that oh, we need to know. Oh, this was new when I was doing some
1: transcription stuff. That's the first time I've seen it.
0: So robo-advice is a class of financial advisor that produces... I have to, I have to read my notes. I'm really sorry. And I'm really blind. Um... So there's little human intervention with it. Yep. There is minimal human involvement with robo-advice. The way that they work is they provide digital services based off of algorithms. Yeah. I don't really understand how they work.
1: I just know that they... So it's they... analytics. Oh. So it'll be analytics and algorithm. So basically they will have... It's like any AI, the hot topic, and... Um, Interaction interface that you have. So, like, if you use any of the AI chat bots, so you'll put a question in, mm-hmm. or you, it will follow basically a scripted response question and answer situation. So, it will have studied or have had data input in the form of the most common questions that will be asked in this scenario will be these, and these are the answers. And then, so it's. um I don't think they learn, but I think it is basically just role play scenario so it gets fed so many different potential responses and questions <coughs> so it can it can answer the questions based off of they'll probably have fed it the lib textbook is it not it's it's not a language model though is it or is it is it not
0: based off no, of I like, like don't market think.
1: investment algorithms i'm assuming it will have someone will have made it and then marketed it and each company will alter it so that it will reflect the individual products that they have available but there is going to be a limited scope because it's not a person so there is only so far it will be able to advise you and they'll all come with the disclaimer that this isn't binding advice like it's not a person we can't guarantee everything is correct like when you go on chat gpt and it's like make sure you double check because this is a robot don't be a moron and copy it word for word
0: yeah so the key takeaways with robo advice is it's a low cost alternative to financial advisors yeah uh, there's minimal human interv- intervention and it's based off of algorithms those are yeah. the key takeaways for so that it's going
1: to be basic advice mm-hmm. exactly but that's it
0: although there is something called basic advice structured advice and then there's another one but we're not going to cover those today so don't confuse robo-advice with basic advice. Sorry to, um... No,
1: but you... Shown I mean, your there, if, Maria. Yeah, but robo-advice, if you can't remember the definition of robo-advice, like... It's literally robotic advice. Yeah.
0: And I think that's probably all that we've got time for. I forgot to ask Video Chris if he could uh, give us a flag for the timer for this episode. So, it is really good to be back. Thank you. Thank you so much. So much for having us both. Whether you are listening on whatever platform you listen to podcasts or whether you're checking this out on YouTube, please hit that subscribe button. Please like. Please leave us a review. It literally makes the world of difference to a really small business like mine or like ours now because there's two of us plus <laughs> a few dogs. Thanks for tuning in. You are going to see these episodes drop in again every week. So like us on Instagram, like us on TikTok, YouTube. Facebook, although my Facebook is not... It's just been playing up recently, so maybe not Facebook. Or go to futureinfinance.co.uk for all the help that you could possibly ever need with your mortgage advice stuff. The last thing that I want to mention is the community WhatsApp page. Yes. So you, if you go onto the website and you subscribe, at the bottom there is a number. You can just WhatsApp community to that number and you will be added into the loveliest group chat you have ever seen. Uh, students chat amongst themselves. They all talk about their, their journeys, where they're up to, what they're struggling with. A couple of people were asking about advice for um, if they get extra time for your exams because you're dyslexic and how to book that with Pearson View. There's so many beautiful things that go on in there. If you are studying towards your CMAP and you want a community, that is the place to go. So don't forget to join that. And thanks so much for having us. Thank we will you. see you guys next week. Next week.
1: Bye.